The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy in the European Union. And now we are in this global information a world where little mom and pop stores or little mom and pop online uh, companies can do business with the European Union and they forget that they are going to be subject to European Union law. And we have a wonderful guest with us. Wait till you hear his fabulous voice and his incredible accent. We have Phil Lee, who's an attorney, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. But he is only in this country just just uh, less than a year, um, and he's come from beautiful London to um, do privacy work here with with clients in the United States. So he's going to give us some insight into the differences and comparisons of the European Union law with regard to privacy and the U.S. laws with regard to privacy. So we have a wonderful expert with us. And let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Phil Lee is a partner in the Privacy and Information Law Group at Field Fisher Waterhouse LLP up in beautiful Palo Alto up in Northern California. He's a certified information privacy professional from Europe. You know, I'm a CIPP from the U.S., and he is a certified information privacy manager. So he's taken all sorts of tests and even instructs on the um, the test to become a certified information privacy professional. Phil's expertise includes behavioral profiling, cookie regulation, e-marketing, international data transfer strategies, and much more. He's worked on numerous multi-jurisdictional data privacy projects across more than 80 countries. And in addition to privacy and information law, Phil regularly advises his clients on a wide variety of technology and social media and e-commerce projects. I could go on and on about him, but he actually does a lot of journal writing from various different journals. And um, he, you can learn so much more about him at F fw.com. So I want to spend a lot of time talking to him. Thank you so much, Phil, for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. I love that accent. It's so fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and I love London, except when it's cold. So you're going to really enjoy living in California. Well, I, I like Palo Alto because it's nice and warm. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's even warmer down here in Orange County. So you'll come and visit. So anyway, <laughs> let's, you got to tell me, how did you become um, such a technology expert? Well, uh, to be honest with you, um, 
my dad was uh, was a programmer, and so from a very young age, I grew up with a lot of computers in the house, and so I'd always had an interest in them. And when I went to university, I studied computing. Um, I then worked for a little while as a programmer, uh, but quickly decided that my heart was really in law and moved across to that. But then I decided just to stay with um, technology and law. And in particular, you know, data regulation just really grew as an area of law. And it was something that I had a, a, a big interest in, both as a matter of, um, uh, both as a professional interest but also just as a matter of ethics about what's the rights and wrongs of respecting people's privacy rights. And so that was how I moved across into it. Well, that is such a great blend of your passions. I always love that when you do something that you can blend what you really love to do. That's uh, Then it's great. Now, so you know a lot about European Union privacy law because obviously England is part of the European Union. So I understand that the European Union, uh, their privacy laws are regarded as the strictest privacy regimes in the world. So why don't you tell us about that? Is that really true or what is that? You, you know, I think as a, as a broad statement, that is, that is roughly correct. We have, um, in, in Europe, we have probably the most... Um, evolved and comprehensive data protection regime anywhere in the world. I think, you know, for the listeners who are perhaps less familiar with the makeup of the European Union, uh, you know, we're, we're a territorial region that comprises 27 different member states, um, and we share a sort of a harmonized legal regime. And what that means is that we have, uh, we have a, this thing called the Data Protection Directive, which is a European Union law that applies across all the territories that sets out the framework for how uh, businesses in those territories can collect and use data. And it, it, I guess it's akin to having like a sort of an overarching federal law across the whole of Europe that uh, regulates data collection. And so that's one of the differences with, for example, a place like the United States where you have um, much more sort of sectoral-based data privacy laws. In Europe, we have one law that applies across the whole lot. Yeah, and I think it's kind of important when we talked about the strictest kind of laws, the strictest privacy laws. I think we need to help my audience really kind of understand the difference between opting in and opting out because in our country, first of all, we have this patchwork quilt <laughs> of privacy mm -hmm. laws. Like you said, you know, you've got this overreaching privacy law This uh, that, that kind of encompasses a whole theme of privacy, and we don't have that. And um, so kind of explain what you mean by strict, in, and I think that would include the opt-in, opt-out, right? So it, it includes a number of things, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, what I say is a sort of broad statement that Europe is, is about the strictest in the world. Of course, you know, there are um, different countries, you know, throughout, say, South America or if you look out to, towards Asia, where, you know, in, in relation to particular aspects, they may have laws that go further than we do. But as, as a general sort of over, overarching standard, um, the European Union data privacy law tends to go further. And certainly part of that debate is, you know, things like um, consent requirements for collecting data, whether you do that on an opt-in or an opt-out basis. But, but it also extends to other things like, uh, you know, how long you can keep data for and what level of notice you have to give to people and, um, you know, how much data you can collect. We have this idea, for example, uh, that you should only collect the data necessary to fulfill a particular purpose and anything beyond that is considered excessive and, and unlawful. So we have a number of different standards that, that apply whenever you, um, whenever you collect and use data. 
But even within Europe, although we have this kind of overarching framework, you find that um, different territories are more or less strict across the European peace. So, for example, northern European territories like um, the UK and, and Ireland tend to be slightly more um, business-friendly and slightly more pragmatic about the way that they interpret and apply data privacy rules, whereas you know, other territories like, um, like, for example, Germany and Spain tend to be more strict in their interpretation of the law and sort of more aggressive in their enforcement. And so you know, some of those territories can attract substantial fines for data privacy breaches. So when you, when you have a data privacy breach in the European Union, is there like an, an ombudsman uh, place that they try and resolve it without litigation? How do they resolve those kinds of things? Well, it, it's interesting. It varies, it varies from country to country, to be honest with you. Um, normally, if, if you are an individual and your privacy rights have been, uh, be, been breached, then typically your first uh, your, your first recourse would be to go to the business concerned and, and you know, and raise it with them. Right. If, you, if you don't, you know, achieve satisfaction through that, then you have the ability to go to um, one of the local regulators. That we call them data protection authorities. And you have a different authority per country in Europe. So if you're, for example, uh, an individual in the UK, you would approach the Information Commissioner's Office. If you're an individual in Ireland, you would go to the Data Protection Commissioner, and it depends on you know which country you're in. In, in Germany, for example, they have uh, a federal regulator, but then they also have uh, a uh, different regulators by by Bundes, um, by state within within Germany. Yes, like so Canada. It, it, yeah, like Canada has that. They have yeah. an overall privacy commissioner, and then each. Um, they don't, they don't call them states, but each territory or each, I forgot what they call them, but they're like states, um, has their own um, privacy commissioner like Ann Kavukian's been on our show tons of times. And exactly. so she talks about that. Yeah, she's a privacy commissioner for Ontario. Yeah. And and so, you know, you, you have that option to go to your regulator and then they will they will take things up directly with the business. In some cases, you know, if you've been really aggrieved, then you, you might look to launch a civil action against, uh, against the business. But typically, um, civil actions for data privacy breaches are very, very rare in Europe. And a lot of that has to do with the complexity of showing that you've actually suffered a harm that is recoverable through, um, through damages. So most of the complaints tend to go through a data protection authority, and, and they tend to resolve those kinds of issues. So what if what if I live in England and I and I go to my but I I feel that my privacy has been invaded by another country within the European Union. So so then I would go to my privacy commissioner in England, and then they would contact if in and they would contact the business themselves, uh, the business in let's say Germany or somewhere else. Would they do it like that? They they and then if they don't get any result, then they would go. The privacy commissioner from England would go to the privacy commissioner from Germany. Would they do something like that? How does that work? Yeah, that is a very good question, actually. And you raise one of the really sort of complex points under European law about uh, which which country's law actually applies to a business. Right. Um, normally, the way it would work was that if it's a business in Germany, that that German business would be subject to German law and the German regulator would oversee that. And so if I, as an individual in England, have an issue, then uh, strictly speaking, I guess I would need to raise it with the, with the German regulator. In practice, what tends to happen is that uh, an English individual would raise the complaint with, with the UK regulator, 
who, if they deemed it serious enough, would raise the complaint with the German regulator and then leave the German regulator to investigate it. So that was a situation, actually, that happened to Facebook uh, not too long ago, where um, uh, an individual in Austria complained about data that Facebook was holding on him, and he raised that with the Austrian uh, with the Austrian Data Protection Authority. Um, but because Facebook in Europe is basically headquartered out of Ireland, the Austrian commissioner had to refer that complaint across to the Irish commissioner to investigate. Hmm, interesting. And then, and then, uh, you know, and then they resolve it that way. And if there was a problem, then they that person would be able to. If they couldn't resolve it with uh, the privacy commissioner in Ireland, then there there could be a lawsuit, right? There, there could be. Uh, as I say, that tends to be that tends to be very rare, but it, but it can happen. Yeah, and I think that's the difference is that you know you guys. I know that like in Canada, they do have ombudsmen within uh, Anne Kavukian's office, so they usually mm. do resolve things really quickly, which I think is wonderful because you're basically using mediation, which is which is my cup of tea. I mean, I teach mediation, so I, I'm a real <laughs> believer in alternative dispute resolution and trying to resolve it. Um, you know, interest based and mutual gain without going to litigation, because it's crazy here. Yeah. Yes, yeah, no, that, that's right. Well, uh, you know, and really, you know, uh, very different from the U.S. model, we, you know, we don't really have much of a concept of kind of class actions uh, in Europe. Right. Um, funnily enough, actually, we would be, the, the, uh, Google is currently facing a, a class action in the U.K., um, but that was, that, to my knowledge, is the first uh, privacy class action ever launched in Europe. So it gives you an idea of how rare those things are. Right, right. And would you say they're rare because usually there is some kind of a settlement uh, rather than it getting out of hand? I, I, honestly, I think it's because we, we don't really have the, the, the legal framework in Europe that encourages oh. class actions in quite the same way that it does I in the see. U.S., uh-huh. um, and particularly in the realm of privacy, these things just tend to be dealt with through the, the data protection authorities. Yes, yes. Let me go back to opt-in and opt-out, even though you and I both understand it. I think a lot of people um, in our country really don't understand that. they they. What happens to those of us in this country is most of us don't even know what is being collected about us and what's being shared. <laughs> so kind of talk to that because that that doesn't happen in in the European Union or does it? No, it's it's very interesting. So in Europe, um, you know, when you are collecting personal information from people, there are a number of legal criteria that you have to satisfy when you do that. And one of the criteria is that is that you can collect their information if they consent to that. And then the question then becomes, you know, do they have to expressly consent, you know, opt in and say, yes, I agree to this? Or can you assume they consent if they, if they, te- if they don't tell you they object? In other words, if they don't opt out. But what makes, um, what, what's different, I guess, in Europe is that you don't have to get consent in all cases. Actually, there's a broad recognition that unless, you know, where you're not collecting data that's sensitive in nature, you can actually rely on what's called uh, legitimate interests, basically a business's legitimate interest in collecting data, provided they're not doing anything sort of unusual with it that an individual would uh, would uh, object to. It actually allows them to collect that information and use it. So one of the differences, the big cultural differences, I think, between the U.S. and Europe is that 
typically when I work with a lot of U.S. clients, they will um, they will look to get consent for all the types of data that they want to collect, whether that's on an opt-in or an opt-out basis. They will they will ask for consent. In Europe, it's quite unusual to find um, businesses asking for consent because it's not something they they need to have. They can show other other lawful bases under our data protection laws that allow them to collect and use data. Are you talking about personally identifiable information or are you just talking about um, maybe credit card information? What, what are you talking about where they can just automatically collect it and they get, you know, they get around that? I'm not quite sure I understand. Sure. So, so we, um, I guess one of the other big differences between the U.S. and Europe is that in the U.S. you will typically talk about personally identifiable information. In Europe we use the term personal data. And those two concepts are very similar, but they're, they're kind of different. So personal data is anything that is PII, personally identifiable information, will be personal data in Europe. But personal data is also a slightly broader concept. So it can include things like um, device-related data, you know, IP addresses and unique device identifiers and things like that. And then if, if you as a business are going to collect personal data, then you, you, know, you have to show that there is a basis under our laws that allow you to collect that information. And that could be that, that could be that somebody has consented to you collecting the information, or it might be that you need to collect the information because it's in your legitimate interest to do so, or it might be that you need the information to, to fulfill a contract with the individual, or in some cases it might be other things. It might be that uh, that you need the information to defend a legal claim, or it might be that um, it, you know you need the information for, to protect the vital interests of the individual or another person. And so, consent is one ground on, uh, on which you can collect and use information, but it's not the only ground in Europe for, for for doing so. Okay, so let's say you collect information to do business, which is you know which is legitimate, or you collect it because you want to. Maybe you say, well, I want to prevent any kind of lawsuit. Now, how about the next thing? Can they share it? Can they sell it? Can they do something with it once they have the legal right to collect it? Or that has to be permission? So the, the way it works is we, we, we have this concept of what we call processing. So processing means collection, use, storage, deletion, disclosure, you know, a, a, anything you can envisage doing with a person's information is considered processing in Europe. Okay, now you would, when and you it, say disclosure, disclosure for like... Oh, my company has a, an accounting outside accounting people who will manage or the merchant account that they have to process credit cards. What kind of processing are you talking about? So disclosure could, could, could mean sharing data with a service provider who's performing a service for you. Right, so it might be, right. for example, you know, a website hosting provider who's hosting your databases. Or it might be, you know, it could be disclosure to a law enforcement authority in response to a request. Or it could be uh-huh. sharing with a partner for a co-marketing activity. Uh-huh. But the way the law works is that uh-huh. whenever you are di- whenever you are processing data or disclosing it, you have to show in each for each separate act of processing that there is a lawful basis under our law that allows that to take place. And normally, disclosure it, disclosure is treated with a, a slightly higher standard in Europe. So you know it would often be more appropriate to look for consent to disclosure than it would be just to collect and and use data to provide a service to an individual, particularly where there's some form of marketing going on. In in those cases, we also have um, very strict rules around uh, when you can and can't market to an individual, and we have different rules that apply depending on whether you are marketing by email or by post or by phone or by fax or by SMS. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have a lot of rules that, that govern this stuff and, and different standards that apply in each case. Wow, yeah. Because, I mean, we have this thing about, in, in, like in California, we have a little bit more strict rules than they do at the federal level with regard to marketing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have to get, uh, we can uh, opt out of sharing with, affiliates but and um we can actually we have to get uh, give prior consent in california to um have third parties um get you know get our information for marketing so i don't like that i mean i mean i don't like the fact that i can anybody can get my information for marketing and barrage me with with ads and stuff i, I don't like that so yeah I, I, absolutely and there's, there's a lot of people in there's a lot of people in europe that feel just the same and so and so that that is precisely why we have so many laws around around marketing but even within europe you will find that um you know Different, different territories within Europe will, will have different approaches to how they regulate marketing. So Germany, for example, broadly has the, the strictest marketing rules in Europe. And so you will sometimes hear people talk about double opt-in in Germany, which is you know, essentially where you are marketing to a consumer. Um, in some cases, you actually have to not just get the consumer to say, yes, I want to receive marketing. You have to follow up by sending them a, a message to say, it looks like you've asked to send you marketing. Do you agree to that? Oh, you, you have to confirm it. Yeah, yeah. So they, they call that a double opt-in. Interesting, interesting. I wonder if that's just because of the whole Nazi regime, you know, that they have a much higher, like, sensitivity because of what they went through in World War II. Well, I, I think a lot of the, the, the German attitude towards privacy is very much driven by, by historical experiences. Yeah. And, you know, and they have, they have, you know, Good reason. Uh, more Good reason. Than most of, of why you'd be sensitive about that. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about actually the, the the basic core of the difference in the privacy regimes. I mean, who owns the data? <laughs> who owns the data? Like you know, when when in our country it appears that when I give my data to a company, it it becomes their data. Who owns the data in the European Union? So we have we have this concept of of controllership. We we funny enough we don't tend to talk about ownership because uh, you know ownership starts to make you think about things like um, you know sort of property rights and intellectual right, property right. things like that, which are, which we treat as a separate issue from from data privacy. Right. Instead, instead we talk about controllership, and what we what we look to there is you know who is making the the decisions about why this data is being used and how it's going to be used. And that's really, that's really the, the driving force behind it. And so the, the, end, the, the, the business that makes those decisions, the company that makes those decisions, or you know, not just a company, it could, be, it could be you know the authority or whoever you're sharing your data with, they are considered a data controller. And what that means is they, the controller is subject to making sure that it complies with our data privacy laws now, in some cases, the controller may outsource some of its processing to a third-party service provider, and that service provider will be what's called a data processor, or uh, in American speaker, a data processor. Um, and the, the, the processor has no legal obligations under European Union law. It's all the obligation, all the compliance responsibility falls upon the controller. So when a controller shares its data with a third-party service provider, it has to make sure that that service provider behaves when it uses that data because anything the service provider does wrong, the controller will be held accountable for. Right, right. And then they can, they probably have contracts that they get indemnification, though, if there's some it, problem, right? It, exactly, exactly. So they, they will put in place what's called a processing contract with the data processor. And that has, that has certain 
terms that uh, certain contractual terms that as a matter of law they're required to impose on that right hospital. because if they didn't have anything else they, then who would care you know yeah exactly yeah exactly. yeah we are speaking with phil lee and you can hear his wonderful gorgeous accent from england <laughs> and he's a partner in the privacy and information law group at field fisher and waterhouse llp up in beautiful palo alto california so, Phil, let me ask you something. Um, I'm looking at, we have we have a couple, yeah, we have a few more minutes, yeah. So tell us about, um, I hear that the European Union is kind of undergoing a root and branch reform of its privacy laws. Why don't you tell us about that and how that really would affect us in the United States, the companies here? Okay. Well, I mean, that's a big topic in itself, but I'll, I'll give you the, 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 key, the key issues. So basically, our law at the moment is being completely rewritten. We have this, they have this one law that applies, but it, but it has been implemented differently in every single country throughout Europe. What we're doing now is replacing that with one law that will apply in every territory around Europe without any need for national versions of it. So you'll get the same law that applies across all 27 territories. Um, the, the, the two really headline-grabbing points from that are, first off, that it applies to any business that provides goods and services to, to European consumers. So even if you're a U.S. business and you're not established in Europe, you don't have a, uh, you don't have a presence in Europe, just by serving U- European customers you, uh, and collecting their data, you will be subject to this new law. The second big headline point from it is that breaches under this new law can attract fines of up to 2% of global turnover. And so what our regulators are trying to do is to put this new law on the same footing as, for example, our antitrust, uh, our, our antitrust rules, where you know, fines for breaches are linked to the actual turnover of the organization. And so you know, historically, there have been fairly low levels of fines in Europe. But I think what you're going to find under the new regime is that privacy is going to become much more important. There is going to be a much greater emphasis on compliance and there are going to be much greater fines for getting it wrong. Okay. We have a, just a couple, a minute left. And I just want to ask you, who's going to enforce this? If it's this kind of global, it'll be, would it be um, a consul of the European Union? Is that who will make that, those enforcement actions? So the, the, the enforcement is going to be left to the, the data protection authorities again. And you will still have data protection authorities in, uh, in, in every country around Europe, albeit that what you will do is you will look to the authority where um, that there'll be, if you like, a lead authority that will take responsibility oh, for... Oh, from the country it, that it happened in, yeah. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, broad, that's broadly right. And so, uh, and so they will be responsible for kind of coordinating any action and taking enforcement against non-compliant businesses. But I think the question that remains unanswered is that, you know, if we're trying to police the world... How will our regulators have the resource and the and the capability to do that? And that's something we don't really yet know. That's fascinating. Oh my goodness, I learned so much, Phil. That was wonderful. Thank you for uh, my crazy qu- answering all my crazy questions too. It's Not appreciative. At all. It's been a real pleasure. Okay, so um, we will have you back again. Please stay in touch and welcome to California. I hope you <laughs> have a you great time. Okay, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to KUCI eighty-eight point nine FM and Irvine and KUCI. Org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we are welcoming Sergeant Ira Esso, who is Patrol Supervisor for South Operations, and he's assigned to beautiful San Juan Capistrano. He also is Supervisor of the Mounted Enforcement Unit at the Orange County Sheriff's Department, and he's been with the department for 27 years. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you, Ira. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, why don't you tell us about the Mounted Enforcement Unit and those beautiful horses? Uh, the Mounted Enforcement Unit was established in 1969 originally. Um, in 97, uh, the Mounted Color Guard was established as a ceremonial unit. The uh, MU currently has 15 deputies assigned, uh, which is an ancillary duty for them. They are responsible for the costs of caring for their mounts, maintenance, basic training for their own mounts, as well as transporting them to the various deployments. Um, the MU works in concert with the Regional Mounted Enforcement Unit, which is made up of mounted officers from Santa Ana PD, Anaheim PD, Garden Grove PD, uh, Buena Park, uh, and, of course, uh, the Sheriff's Department. Uh, the Regional Mounted Unit can deploy 40 mounted officers to any given incident. Some of uh, the deployments where someone can expect to see members of the Mounted Enforcement Unit include the annual Swallows Day Parade in San Juan Capistrano, uh, some of the major sporting events in the malls and parks during the holidays. Uh, one of our busiest times of the year is the 4th of July. This year, the MU will be deployed um, with the Regional Mounted Unit uh, to 4th of July celebrations uh, throughout the county, uh, places such as Dana Point, San Clemente, Anaheim, Santa Ana, and uh, Newport Beach, uh, providing enforcement and crowd control to ensure that everybody uh, can enjoy the holiday. That's so terrific. I love those horses, and you do such a great job. And we will have you back again next time to talk about how those enforcement, how those um, beautiful horses help you with law enforcement. Thanks so much, Ira. We'll have you back soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 